transparency was really key for me from the beginning because I wanted to make sure that the creators I was working with understood all the moving parts, who we're talking to, what negotiations are happening, what fees are we charging for you? What fees am I taking as your manager? What are the payment terms? How often are you going to get paid? And making sure the creators understood their part in that and their role and how much leverage they have so that they didn't get taken advantage of by the nefarious types of people that tend to sort of fall into these industries. You're listening to the Let's Talk Marketing Podcast hosted by me, Katya Allison. So what have you gotten yourself into? Let me break it down for you. In short, a good time, great conversation, and a little bit of learning along the way. Through insightful interviews with top marketers, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders, I get to explore the latest trends, techniques, and strategies in the world of marketing. I'm here to offer you engaging and informative discussions to help you stay up to date on the latest trends and take your marketing skills to the next level. In this episode, we are covering transparency in marketing with Emily Fonda. She's the co-founder of The Sociable Society and a leader in the influencer marketing industry. Her job involves managing partnerships with big brands like Netflix, Toyota, and Amazon, as well as overseeing talent management. Fun fact about her is that before co-founding the agency, she worked as an actress, which has helped her out tremendously in shaping the sociable society's creator-first approach. Her dedication to the agency's values is important to their majority woman workforce and their innovative practices. A strong leader who brings unity and authority to a constantly changing industry. Since 2015, the Sociable Society has successfully completed over 6,500 campaigns with over 7,000 creators. Today, we're diving into transparency in marketing, and I'm ready to take that dive or take that leap. Let's talk marketing with Emily Fonda. Emily, welcome to Let's Talk Marketing Podcast. I am so happy that you've agreed to join me on this journey of the podcast. Thank you for having me. It is a pleasure. Absolutely. Today, we're going to talk about transparency in marketing. So I'm sure that the listeners are like, what do you even mean by that? Before we dive into that, I'd love for everybody to get to know you a little bit. So let's start with our questions. What was your first marketing role and what is your current role? That way we can see really the trajectory of your career. Absolutely. Well, I started in communications straight out of college. I studied journalism, so it's kind of on the other side of it, but ended up as a traffic reporter at the local news station. That's wild. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't expect that. My like random tidbit about myself. And then after years of travel and doing fun things in my early 20s, I picked up some PR consulting gigs on the side. And at the time, it had been a few years since I'd graduated. It was very new to me. It was at the time when PR was starting to verge into the world of Facebook and blogs. This is the late 2000s. And so it was a different type of PR that I think I'd studied in school from the traditional PR side, the traditional media. And so I kind of ended up in the PR and then through that worked with some corporate clients and then eventually geared into some more entertainment style clients and worked on events and did a lot of film premieres and documentary premieres, running red carpets and events. And that sort of led me into my current role 
as the co-founder of the Sociable Society, which is an influencer agency where we represent talent creators as their exclusive managers. And then we also work with clients on the brand partnership side, running their influencer marketing campaigns as an extension of their team as they partner. Well, you have a lot of experience, it sounds like, underneath your belt when it comes to this. So I'm sure the the sociable society that you guys are just knocking it out of the park when it comes to that. What do you, about your current role, love? But on the other side, what would you pluck out? What would you essentially delegate out to someone else if you could so that you could have the perfect job all the way around? I love working with creators and the creative side of our business. Social media content creators are just innately talented individuals that can create content, they can produce content, they can write content, they can star in the content, they can distribute content. And so working in that world is just so fun and being a part of their journey and then helping them make a business and a brand out of what they've already created online is really special to me. So that's one of the things that I love about what we do. Alongside of that, we're running brand partnerships. We work with 120 creators doing four or five campaigns a month each. So with that comes a whole lot of backend payments and invoicing and contracts and everything that needs to be done in order for those partnerships to go forward. And I think my least favorite part of that would probably be collections. I can agree. I mean, I used to be back in the days of college. That's what I did, like accounts payable and accounts receivable. So you're always asking people for money after already doing the work too, especially in the area that your creators are at, right? Just pay us. (laughs) I know. I think the volume of deals that we do, it just innately exacerbates just how much collections and things that we have to do. But for the most part, we have a pretty good record, but the ones on the outside that just don't like to play by the rules. Of course. The outliers, right? It's the outliers in the business. And I think where you're at in your role, it's the creative part of marketing. I feel like everything is new. I would imagine that you don't have a single day that's scripted. I don't know if you as a marketer ever get this question, meaning what is your average day look like? And I always think it's hilarious because I'm like, I don't know that there is an average day. Every day is different. The night before I'm looking at my calendar, what's tomorrow going to be? Is it the same for you? 100%. 100%. I think a lot of it too is just being a business owner. So you're constantly wearing different hats. We go through hiring phases. We're onboarding a lot of new staff. We go through phases where we're onboarding a lot of new creators or new clients. And then we're at a peak with brand partnerships where we have six campaigns that are all at the same stage and the really busy stage. And each week, each day is so different. It is something that you can give that typical day in the life of because it's crazy. You're never bored. That's a great thing. Now, in this industry that we're in, you have to be able to stay up to date with everything, right? This first part of this question is very focused on social networks. I'm really curious if you go to any social networks to be inspired, entertained, and educated. And if so, which social networks do you gravitate towards for each one? Do you leverage social networks to be entertained, educated, or inspired? I think for education, I would geared towards LinkedIn, being on par with peers and colleagues and seeing what's going on in the industry, that is your best platform in order to find that. 
TikTok, Instagram, we're on it all day, every day as it is. So you're going in and you end up falling into the rabbit hole of the platform. So it's a bit of inspirational. It's a bit of work. And then it's a bit of connectivity. And especially as an expat, I'm Australian. So living in the States, Facebook was always my place of keeping in touch with my friends and my family. And Instagram was a way for me to have a more public facing profile to the world and Twitter as well. But I think my last tweet was in 2017. So not on Twitter. (laughs) Twitter is a consistency game. You have to kind of always be on there. There are some people that I've spoken to recently that find Twitter great as a way to stay up to speed. That's where they get their news and they spend a lot of time, which is really interesting. The reason I gravitated towards journalism young was I was always a bit of a news junkie as it is. I wanted to be an actress and that was a separate part of my life that I did pursue anyway. But instead of studying acting, I went and studied journalism because I wanted something else for myself. But also my 17-year-old brain was like, well, if I can't be on TV as an actress, I could be on TV as a news reporter. (laughs) And then you were reporting traffic. Was it on the radio? Is that what you said? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> well, you don't have a face for radio. I'm glad that we're doing the audio video. So this is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> so I think each of the platforms offer different things, but I'm definitely influenced most on Instagram. I follow my influences. I'm a mom, so I follow a lot of other moms. I get my beauty routines, my trends. I stay in the loop based on Instagram, TikTok. Same, same. Now, what do you do to stay up to date on trends in general that's not social networks? Like, is there a podcast? Is there a group? Is there a newsletter? How do you stay up to date on trends outside of social networks? I think I have a really broad reading go-to library. I always kind of go to Adweek. I always go to Business Insider. I read the LA Times, the New York Times. I am part of the WIM, which is the Women in Influencer Marketing Group, which is a great resource. The Facebook group is amazing for just women in the industry talking about what's happening, what's trending. And then there's so many other just great resources and subscribing to newsletters so you can get in the loop of all the different players in the industry and getting tidbits about what's going on, what's happening, what's shifting, what's shaking. It's important to have a wide reach of sources so that you're getting different opinions, but also Adweek might have more traditional advertising and marketing pieces that would then flow over to the influencer side, but they're not really focused on the influencer side. And then you might get another source that comes in from the influencer side that kind of has an opinion on that. And then you can kind of formulate your own opinion and read more on one headline, kind of go down rabbit holes and fill in the missing pieces for yourself. So I wouldn't say there's particularly one, but a lot. The variety of them. I love that you actually gave ones that you do read. It does sound like a lot. And I've been trying to be a lot more conscious about staying up to date on trends as well, too. So I'm kind of curious as a follow-up, how much time are you dedicating to just kind of going through and reading? I know that must sound like a silly question, but is it a daily thing that you're doing or do you have dedicated time of the week of like, all right, I'm just going to cash up on all things. Is it less structured that way that you you don't even make it a part of your day? It's just constant for you. It's a little bit of both. I think my morning routines, I will definitely read 
LA Times, New York Times, Washington Post, kind of skim through the headlines and read articles that are of interest. I think that's a daily morning routine. I think throughout the day is email newsletters end in my inbox and something catches my attention, I'll read it. And then I would say once a week, I'd probably go through LinkedIn or start looking at Adweek or Business Insider and see what the stories of the week are. But that's not to say like sometimes I might hear something or see something in the traditional side that's like, ooh, this is interesting. I should look more into this. And so I'll tend to go down then. So not structured, but structured in a way. You make sure you do it. That's the structure part of it. I'm just really curious because I find that once I start reading on something, I go from click to click to click. And then before you know it, I am like an open tab heaven on my computer where I have more tabs than space and time to consume it all. So I was just just kind of curious about that. It's a delicate balance of not just being a headline junkie and actually going in and reading and absorbing what you can. And I'm not saying everything I read gets retained, but it doesn't. The important pieces do and the way that my brain works anyway, it's like something will sit in there and then I'll see something else and be like, oh, that registered that. I'm going to have a conversation about that later today. I should probably read more about it so I know what I'm talking about. Yeah, exactly. So you don't go in blind. Yeah, I'm just regurgitating a headline. It speaks to being transparent with whoever it is that you're meeting, which is a really great segue to the strategy portion of what we wanted to talk about today, which was transparency in marketing. And when we were initially talking about what can we dive into, this topic just kind of bubbled up, I feel like. So I'd love to learn from you. What does transparency mean specifically in your industry that you're focused on in influencer marketing? And why is it so important? So transparency is big for me as an individual. As I sort of mentioned before, I was an actor and worked in the entertainment field for many, many years. And as a young person, and then as a teenager and in my early 20s, you know, you hear the horror stories. It's the entertainment industry. Everyone kind of knows the backstory of what goes on over there. And I was the unfortunate person that had to deal with some pretty slimy characters in my time. And when I was First, looking into the influencer space, and this was in 2014 when it was really the world of YouTube and the MCNs and how creators were starting to work with managers and agents. And something struck in me of like, I want to be part of this industry because I understand the relationship of talent with agent manager. Yeah. And using my own experiences, wanted to make sure that I could foresee this industry just A lot of people coming in, it's in its infancy. People don't know what they're doing. Creators or talent are going to get taken advantage of. And we really kind of saw that in the fall of the MCN when young talent were signing contracts to hand over rights to their content or their channel in perpetuity throughout the universe. And creators and talents and creative types, they don't understand the business side. And Being a talent and then also working as PR consultant on the side, I had a bit more business savviness to me and I lived talent type. And so that's really why I wanted to get into the space. And so transparency was really key for me from the beginning because I wanted to make sure that the creators I was working with understood all the moving parts, who we're talking to, what negotiations are happening, what fees are we charging for you, what fees... Am I taking as your manager? 
What are the payment terms? How often are you going to get paid? And making sure the creators understood their part in that and their role and how much leverage they have so that they didn't get taken advantage of by the nefarious types of people that tend to sort of fall into these industries. And then it sort of translates over to our brand partnerships team and working with clients on campaigns because there's a lot of agencies out there that run campaigns very, very well for a brand that really understanding what sets each agency apart from each other and why one is better than the other. And it's all about results and what an agency can provide and being a good working partner. But it's also about transparency and you're a brand handing over a budget to somebody else to manage and run with that you want to understand how is that being spent? How much are we paying creators? How much is an agency taking as a fee? And so I think a lot of it really falls under that umbrella of just being open, transparent, and honest with whoever it is that you're working with. And that's really one of the core foundations of the sociable society from the creator and the brand side as well. And I don't want to focus on the negative aspect of transparency, but what I really do want to be able to do is for our listeners, paint the picture of why we were even talking about it. What are some quote unquote shady things that you have seen happen in the influencer marketing industry specifically that really makes transparency a passion for you and a value, it sounds like, at where you're at? What are some examples of shady things that happen? Because I think people need to understand what we're talking about and what we're trying to push through when we talk about transparency. Just to take a step back, as a creator, you're building a business and a brand for yourself. And the reason you go to an agent or manager is to help you take it to the next level. You're tapping a manager and agent because they have relationships that you want in on, or they have a network of other creators that you can build bigger and better relationships and partnerships with. And a good agent manager can help you really grow your channel, really expand your business, build revenue opportunities. And so there's a delicate relationship there because a manager is negotiating with brands on your behalf and they're setting rates. And if you don't really know what rates they're setting with the brand, the manager comes to you and says, cool, yeah, I got you $1,000 for this. And you're like, yeah, cool. You don't know if that manager or agent is negotiating a $2,000 deal for you, but they're only going to give you $1,000. Yeah. So there's transparency in understanding the contracts that are being signed, having a manager that's open to being like, yeah, cool. Here's the contracts. No worries. You take a look. You have a contract with your manager and agent that outlines all of the responsibilities of each party, who's doing what their cut is and all that stuff. So it's all out in the open. There's no questions. There's nothing to hide. So there's been some revelations about managers and agencies that aren't transparent about how much they're booking their creators for. There's transparency in when an agency is receiving money and when you're getting paid as a creator, how that money is being spent by the agency in the interim. I don't want to give anybody a negative association of what this industry We won't give anybody a negative association, but I really wanted to be able to, like I said, paint that picture of why it's important. Because initially when we talk about being transparent, it seems like it's an obvious thing. Well, of course, why wouldn't I do this? But the truth of the matter is, is because influencer marketing, especially influencer marketing, 
I guess I would say it's the newest marketing strategy out there right now with AI stuff coming really quickly behind it at this point. But it is something that is not regulated. So it means that there are all quote unquote loopholes or ways around things. And I think ethically as brands, as agencies, as creators, it really behooves us to be as open and honest. And that to me is the definition of being transparent. Do you find that there's a lot of educating that you have to do on the side of the creator so that they have a better understanding of the value that you're bringing to the table because you are being transparent? I think so. I would love to see more creators more interested in wanting to know what's going on behind the scenes. I think it's certainly the more mature creators that I think have a little bit more of a vested interest in understanding what contracts are happening, what partnerships, what are my bottom line earnings, what are my categories that I'm really popular in, or what other passive income streams do I have versus the younger creators that, you know, you're young. I was the same in my teenage years. You're like, yeah, cool. I got a check. Awesome. <laughs> I'm getting money. Let's go to the yeah. mall. I get a residual check in the mailbox and I call it my magic mailbox. I'd be like, woohoo. So you're kind of like, okay, like, yeah, you're kind of just happy just going along with it. But I think those are the creators that are a bit more ripe for somebody to come along and take advantage of. So I think for anybody in the creator economy or as a content creator to really understand contracts, what's in contracts, who are you working with and who are the partners and agencies that you're working with? And are you working in an exclusive capacity or a non-exclusive capacity? And therefore, what are the different terms that are involved and who's involved in what? And I think just more and more as creators get more educated, they're the ones with the leverage. There's millions and millions of creators out there. So I think the more that they talk to each other, they build their own relationships with other creators that it will start to overflow of like, oh, okay, this is the business side of it. And this is where I have to get a bit more savvy. Now you mentioned some of the contract stuff as far as things that they should ask, but I'm kind of curious, let's say I'm new to the creator space or this is the area that I want to be in as a creator. What are some of the questions that I should be prepared to ask if I'm going to a talent manager or I'm working with an agency and kind of like vice versa, what should a brand be prepared to answer? Because I think it takes both sides to really move the needle in the creator economy for this full adoption of transparency. So what are the questions that a creator should come to the table and ask? First and foremost would be what's the commission split? So majority of managers and agents will work on a commission and that commission can range anywhere from 15%, 20% for my business managers or agents charging upwards of 20%. But I would say industry standard would be about 20%. What are the payment terms that you have with that agency? Because the agency will be responsible for invoicing the brand for all of your partnerships. So when the agency receives the money, how long is it from when they receive it to when I get paid? And so you want the shortest gap possible. At the Sociable Society, we have payroll every two weeks. We've heard of some agencies where they have net 45. So as a creator, you have to understand that if you're posting for a partnership on that brand deal, you have net 60 terms. You've got net 60 until the agency receives payment and then another net 45 from when they receive payment to when you get payment. So you're potentially looking at a three-month period. So that's a really important question to ask. There's other questions like terms on contracts. So if you're signing with an agency, are you being locked into a term? 
And is that an auto renewal term? So a lot of agencies will put a one-year term on a contract so you can't leave for a year. Sociable society doesn't. I'm not a fan of those types of clauses. But I think it's important for you as a creator to understand if it's not working with that agent or that manager, you're not vibing and you want out, what options do you have? I think that's really important that people sign contracts and they don't understand what the termination clauses look like. And then you've also got to make sure you're reading the contracts, really understanding what's in there, what's at stake, and how you can protect yourself as an individual. And in this talent agency or talent manager and creator relationship, earlier you had mentioned something about negotiations. You don't know if they're negotiating a $2,000 deal and you're only getting 1000 and whatnot. In a typical creator and agent relationship, do you guys discuss your negotiables or is it the talent manager or the talent agent that actually does that for you and kind of advises the creator? Does that question make sense? Like, I guess I'm kind of wondering, do I go to you and tell you, all right, well, I'm willing to do it for 25% less unless if they're pushed and I'll do it for less if I have a longer contract. Do I come to you with that or is it a discussion? How does that work? It should be a bit of both. It should be sort of ground rules that you set at the very onset of the partnership with your manager, where you want to land, what your earnings want to look like, what kinds of brands you want to work with. So an agent's manager's responsibility is to go and get you the best deal and make sure that you're protected. And if the best deal they can get is still $1,000 shy of what you wanted, it's still the agent manager's responsibility to take that deal to you. So I get frustrated if a manager is like, nope, sorry, end of the road. And you're like, can you at least discuss it with your client? And they just like hard that nope. So that creator generally, they have no clue if they had an opportunity to work with a brand. And, you know, the creator might turn around and say, no. And you're like, that's fine. But I would rather get to the creator first than it be the agent manager's final call. And then at the same time, if you take a brand to a creator and be like, yeah, this is the best deal I can get you. They're not going to budge anymore. It's your call. Do you want to take it or not? And they'd be like, oh my God, I love this brand. I've been using this since when I was a kid. Absolutely. Like, yes. And it happens more times than you would think where a creator is just like, hell yeah, let's get in now. Let's show them the work I can do. And let's build a bigger partnership with this brand so that long term, there's a lot more business potential for the two of you because They're getting an experience of working with you as a content creator. You're showing them what you can do and how invested you can get your audience that it's kind of a win-win to at least trial some brands. And then obviously you can't do it with everybody. And as agent manager, you might get an opportunity and see the brand and the brand might have a history or something. And you might take to the creator and be like, look, we got this opportunity here. What do you think? The creator might be like, no, I'm not going to do that. I have an allergy or there was some weird stuff with that brand a few years ago. I'm not interested in being associated. So it kind of goes both ways. I would say it's an open line of communication between manager and creator. So if you don't have regular conversations with your agent or manager, they're just brokering deals and sending you things. That's a really transactional relationship. Yeah. Whereas a manager needs to be a partner. It needs to be somebody that you can pick up the phone and call at any time and tell them what's going on so that they can go out and bat for you. 
That's a really good point, you know, and I think that leans into the whole topic that we're talking about, which is really transparency, right? You have to be transparent as an agent with your creator and the creator vice versa as well, too. And I also love that you said, bring the deal to the table because you don't know what they're going to say yes or no to. And if it's a truly positive relationship between the agency and the creator, you guys are going to both win at the end because it's going to open up other opportunities. I kind of have the same question in regards to the questions you should come to the table and ask from the brand side, because I've worked with brands who, when they're looking for influencers on networks, tend to shy away from anybody that has a talent manager because they don't want to have to work through the talent manager because they don't know if that talent manager is even bringing that deal to the table. So as a brand, what can I ask either the talent agent or the agency of record for that creator? What can I ask? I guess there's sort of two approaches. So as a brand that's working with an agency to run their programs, I think that's a really good reason why brands should work with agencies because those agencies have relationships with creators and other talent management companies. So they know who works well, who doesn't work well, who's a good creator, who's going to create amazing content. They can streamline a lot of that things versus a brand going out blind to a bunch of creators or a bunch of talent managers and not really knowing what makes a different agency tick or whatever. So it's really a talent agency's prerogative to be the best relationship builder that you can because you want brands and agencies to come to your agency to work with your creators. So that kind of works twofold for the creators that they represent because they're the beneficiaries of those relationships. And then as the agency running brand partnerships for the brand, it's your responsibility to have those relationships and understand what makes all these different agencies and creatives tick. So as a brand going into working directly with creators, I think for the brand, they need to really understand what the creator's channel is all about, who their audience is, what demographics and what analytics is that creator putting up so that they're going to align with your goals for your campaign. So if you're a performance marketing brand and you desperately need sales and conversions, then going after a creator that has really high views and no link clicks is not going to be the best partner for you. So as a brand, you need to understand exactly what it is that you want to get out of your campaign of working with influencers and really drilling down what those KPIs are so that you can partner with the best creators possible. And then as a brand working with an agency to run your program for you, that's the responsibility of the agency is to understand what the brand goals are and then do all of that stuff for them, which I guess I'm probably biased because that's what we do. But I think (laughs) the best way for a brand to approach influencer marketing, unless they're going to build their own internal influencer marketing team of marketers who really understand this. And then that agency is going to get them the best results for their budget. And I think questions that they need to ask that agency is, what are your relationships? What are your case studies? You know, how are you going to spend our budget? What kinds of licensing are we going to get on this content? If our big goal is to build a content library, but they're not adding in any usage, then there's a disconnect. I'm glad that we're starting the conversation. And while we don't have enough time to dive into all of the questions, my final thought on transparency and marketing and specifically in influencer marketing is we kind of have to talk more about it in order to 
truly all be transparent, but I am kind of curious, what do you think that we can do to help increase more transparency between brands and creators and agencies and whatnot? What are your thoughts on that? On a granular level, industry groups calling out bad players. I think creators are getting really savvy about calling it out on their social media if they're mistreated or something's not going right. We've seen some agencies fall because creators are making TikToks about it. And you're kind of like, well, you know that was going on over there. And it's a ripple effect. But I also think creators have the power. They're the ones experiencing it and they all talk to each other. It's a big industry, but at the same token, it's very small and everybody talks and we all know each other. So if we've got creators that are unhappy, you have to address it with them right away because you don't want that creator to go and tell all the creator friends, this is what happened because it will only spiral and get out of control really quickly. We've seen that with other agencies. And unfortunately, there have been agencies that have fallen in quite a few lately because they're poorly managed. And at the end of the day, it's not going to fly because they're going to get caught out and they're not going to be able to make ends meet. And then creators are going to lawyer up in some situations because they want their money. And at the end of the day, it's their money. And you have to be responsible and you have to be open and transparent with them about what's happening with their money. So we've been in situations where we've gone to collections because brands haven't paid, but we're communicating with those creators and letting them know because they're like, hey, I posted four months ago. Why haven't I been paid yet? And you're like, well, this is the situation. They haven't paid yet, but you you have to get out ahead of it and keep them in the loop so they know what's going on because We have some creators that work with us that had horrific experiences working with other agencies and we just hear it all. So it's heartbreaking because you're like, I don't want that to ever be a conversation about our agency and our creators that we've worked with. So I think it's just the more you can be open, the more you can be transparent from the beginning and set that as the expectations for everybody. I think the more successful everyone will be as an agency, as a creator, and then it'll tip over to the brands as well. I 1000% agree. I think being open, communicating, if you're a brand and an agency or a creator is going to be key. It's keeping the conversation going and being open and communicative and to sum it up, transparent, right? Like that's essentially what it is that we're going for. I've taken so much of your time. I have one final question for you that will tie this up with a nice bow of a podcast. I'd love to know if you knew then what you know now, what is this marketing advice that you would give to yourself? There would be a lot, but I think a big one for me would be don't be afraid of putting yourself out there and giving it a shot. I've never been one to shy away from going after some, I mean, you know, I'm borderline overachiever, but you got to have that ego and that bravado to trust yourself. And I mean that in a good loving way. I don't mean go out and don't be a very nice person, be a nice person. But I think you bet on yourself, have the trust and the confidence to go out. If you know what you want, go for it because there's nobody getting in your way except yourself. And it took me uh, many, many years to realize that. And I think now if I kind of had that attitude a little bit younger, I 
probably would have gone off and done some pretty cool things, but pretty happy with where we are now. So I'll take it. I think that's so great advice. And also just don't go down the, what if this happens? What if this happens? What if that happens? Bet on yourself is a great piece of advice. And I love that. Well, thank you so much, Emily, for just talking to me about transparency and how we can make the creator economy better for everybody in it. I really appreciate you taking all of this time with us. Oh, you bet. I can talk all day about this. So anytime. I thought that the conversation about transparency and marketing was so interesting. I think you could take it in so many directions. I'm breaking down just kind of the key takeaways that I took from our conversation for you right now. So number one, on the brand side, transparency can really help build trust with consumers. In today's age of social media and instant communication, consumers are just a little bit more skeptical than ever about claims from brands, assuming really honestly that everything is just about marketing. Brands can really build trust with consumers by being transparent about their products and their services, including, but not limited to obviously, things like ingredients, sourcing, manufacturing processes. It can really help consumers feel confident that they're making informed decisions when purchasing a product. Number two takeaway, helping brands stand out in a crowded marketplace is what you get from being transparent as a brand. Because with so many products and services competing for consumers' attention, being transparent can help a brand really differentiate themselves from competitors. Consumers are much more likely to choose a brand that is upfront about its practices and values because they feel like they can make a more informed decision about their purchases. For me, what's consistent about these key takeaways is letting the consumer make informed decisions and transparency helps with that. The other thing to know is my key takeaway number three, transparency is a continuous effort. It's not a one-time event, but more of an ongoing effort. So brands really need to be transparent in their communication with consumers and stakeholders, whether it's on their website, social media, with customer success managers, or on any other marketing channel. It should be a part of the company's culture, with employees really trained to prioritize open and honest communication with customers and colleagues. By making it a priority, brands can really build long-term relationships with their customers based on trust and mutual respect. And that's honestly going to increase your customer lifetime value. What are the key takeaways you walked away with from today's episode? Subscribe and follow on LinkedIn, YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts to share these key takeaways and also get the latest episodes of the Let's Talk Marketing podcast. A special thank you to my podcast producers, the amazing team at Content Allies. Check out the episode page to learn a little bit more about Emily or connect with me on LinkedIn. Just search Katya Allison. Thank you so much for spending your time with me today. Until next time, may the conversation flow, the laughter linger, and the outlook remain optimistic, but grounded in reality. This is Katya signing off. 